Welcome to season three of Overcoming Child Sexual Abuse. In this season, we're going to focus on connection. Connection to ourselves, to our higher power, to those in our lives, to our loved ones, and to our pain that remains often stuck, but that is waiting for us to connect with it in order to release it. So we can keep healing, growing, and stepping into our most peaceful, meaningful, and happy lives that we're each here to live. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Stacey Haynes. Stacey is a national leader in somatics, the field of connecting mind, body, brain, and behavior to allow us to release deep patterns of stress, anxiety, and trauma that are stuck in our bodies. Stacy has been in the field of somatics and engaged in social change work for almost 30 years. She is the author of The Politics of Trauma, Somatics, Healing and Social Justice, which is based on her work to transform the impact of individual and social trauma and strengthen the interdependence of personal and social change. Stacy is also the author of Healing Sex, a mind-body approach to healing sexual trauma, which is what we'll be diving into in this podcast. There's so much in this book, and as Stacy writes, many survivors have a difficult relationship with their bodies. You may struggle with body hate, feeling that your body has betrayed you, or that your body is an unsafe place to live. Having a body at all may be a problem for you. So today, we're going to learn a lot and experience some powerful practices to shift our bodies into healing, to heal our sexual trauma from the past, and to experience sexual healing in our lives today. Welcome, Stacy. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am so grateful for you joining us today. You have done such extraordinary work, and I read your book in detail, uh, which I would call a landmark book um, mm. that you released actually back in 2007 called Healing Sex, A Mind-Body Approach to Healing Sexual Trauma. And I thought it was so profound because you take a topic that is taboo and add kind of another taboo topic to that. So child sexual abuse remains a taboo topic, sadly. And then talking about sexual relationships and sex is a whole other area that we still find tricky to talk about. So combining those two was quite an undertaking, I can imagine. Yes, I, I appreciate how you say it's two taboo topics. And of course, I see that as related. Um, I um, We might get more into this, but um, you know, I feel like I also was really committed to it to being a sex positive approach to healing, to, to healing, right, around child sexual abuse and also really getting to self-define our sexualities and discover what we want, what we like, what's pleasurable, what qualities of relationships do we want? But that sex positive approach was also very important 
in dealing with two big topics. Yeah. And so, you know, I just want to start with quoting something that you highlight in that book. So you draw attention and you state, there has been a profound growth in the field of trauma in the last 15 years, along with a near revolution in our understanding of the connection between psychobiology and trauma and healing. The central mm-hmm. role, you say, of the mind-body in surviving and healing from traumatic experiences is now widely acknowledged. Somatics mm-hmm. is the field leading these innovations with top neurobiologists helping ground this work in studies of the brain and body chemistry before and after traumatic events. So Stacey, can you share a bit of your story that led you to this work and what excites you about it, especially these new learnings? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Well, I'm also a survivor of child sexual abuse. And I always feel like for those of us who can be public about it, it's so important to just kind of say we're here and there's so many of us and actually none of us are alone. It's just a very isolating experience. And when I started my own healing, I did a little bit of what I might call traditional therapy. Um, And then I just feel so thankful. I found my way into body-centered or somatic healing processes after that. And I think I was just blown away that when I addressed how trauma lived in the mind-body, the trauma started healing, right? Things started transforming for me. And it was sometimes I felt like after a... you know, either a group, I went to a group and also to, to some one-on-one um, somatic work. It's like I was setting down like 60 pounds. You know, I just couldn't believe how much letting it out through my body was so different than trying to cognitively grapple with it. So that got me very, very interested in somatics. And, you know, I think this year is I'm coming on 30 years in somatics, um, both training and teaching and working with folks in groups and individually. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say that, you know, you're coming on to 30 years, that is kind of core of what, you know, this is about, this podcast, this conversation is that there's no magic bullet, there's no quick fix, there's no, um, it's here today, gone tomorrow. It really is work and it really Mm -hmm. is a journey and that's normal. I think sometimes we think that, oh, why aren't we over it yet? Why am I still getting triggered? Even if those triggers are good indicators for us, but it sometimes feels like it will never mm-hmm. end. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with us. It just means wow. that we need to find the right things that will right, work for right, us, right? right? Exactly. The right, almost like the, the, the right tools for the job, right? <laughs> Two things that really um, helped me and I find very, very useful because I work with a lot of survivors too um, <clears throat> of child sexual abuse is one way that that somatics understands who we are is that we come in like with, with our body minds, right? We come in with these core inherent needs for safety, right? For belonging, like both giving and receiving love and being a part of, and also for self-worth or dignity. And if we look at child sexual abuse and the trauma of it, it breaks all of those. It hurts our safety profoundly. It hurts our belonging because we end up being so isolated, sometimes even in our own families because of the secrecy. And then it also deeply 
messes up this inherent sense of self-worth because so much shame goes along with child sexual abuse. So when I really started understanding from a very, like what I love also about somatics is it's not pathologizing. It's really going, we're human beings. Many of us have had very traumatic experiences and then we adapted to try to survive those experiences And those adaptations, again, are very, very deep in our nervous systems and our muscle memory. And when I also learned about kind of ways that we inherently adapt to trauma, and, you know, it it often gets called the fight, fight response, fight, flight response, but I like breaking that down more into fight, flight, freeze, appease, and dissociate. And we automatically employ many of those to survive our experiences, right, of child sexual abuse. But then what happens is how the the mind-body is built, how we're built, is that those adaptations or survival strategies generalize, and we can't not do them, even when we might not need them anymore. And that is really the ground of healing and the ground of transformation, is getting to process through those responses face and have our, our really healthy reactions to having been hurt, but work them out of the mind body so that they're not getting triggered when we're trying to be intimate with someone with that we choose and that we love. Right. And then right next to this is that pleasurable um, sensuality and sexuality is an embodied experience. You can have a great sexual experience dissociated. And it's very difficult to have a great sexual experience when like certain like fight flight responses or appease responses all of a sudden are taking up a lot of space in our intimate experience, right? Mm -hmm. So there's such an interface with how we heal these, kind of transform these through our mind body so that then there's more space for pleasure, consensual sexual experiences, growth through intimacy and sex, right? All those, all those good things. Yeah. And growth in our relationships and safety and connection and belonging, as you mentioned, that, you know, we're wired for, for connection and, and, and belonging. And in our relationships, as you said, we can disconnect from, especially the sexual parts of our bodies, which some people, many of us might say, well, that's okay. It's not that important. Like I can just separate my sexual side out of the relationship and still be okay. So can you talk a little bit about how sexual intimacy really is a core part of the entire intimacy that is part of a relationship, how we relate to each other and how we can grow and how we then build that bridge between the sexual part of us that we have often disassociated with because of the trauma, yet we still want to really express all all of ourselves to another mm-hmm. person, which mm-hmm. is interconnected. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how people can especially think about that coming together, mm-hmm. but then what we can do with our relationships to actually feel that mm-hmm. in our bodies, feel that safety in our bodies. Because we can think it, but mm-hmm. feeling it 
in the moment mm-hmm. is very diff- different because it can trigger so many mm-hmm. of those reactions, mm-hmm. adaptive reactions from childhood that you mentioned. Awesome. Yeah. So as you know, with childhood trauma and particularly child sexual abuse, usually we end up in kind of a polarized spectrum. Those folks who are avoiding sex, even sex with ourselves, masturbation, or becoming hypersexualized. So I just want to normalize for the listeners, you might be one or the other, right? Some folks might be struggling with hypersexualization, like having sex and afterwards going, God, I didn't really want to do that, right? So it's complex, but usually it's kind of the, the polarities that show up in our survival responses. Um, and the other thing I want to acknowledge is especially with, with sexual abuse, sexual assault, even adulthood, you know, sexual assault and rape, like sex and our, our, our own sexuality is the site of attack. So I just want to acknowledge, of course, it is difficult to heal because it's like we're going back to some of the core wounding, the core places in our somas or our bodies that were hurt, touched, or violated. And compartmentalization, like breaking up into lots of different parts, is a good way to survive. So many of us, and I can say this for myself, like even as a, as a you know, young adult teenager, like coming into my own sexual development. I didn't know why I was doing this, but there were the people who I felt really emotionally intimate with. And then, you know, really the first person that I became consensually sexual with, but I couldn't very easily meet those things. It was way too threatening, right? And it took me quite a lot of healing to go, oh, right, (laughs) having emotional intimacy plus sexuality, right? Plus plus intellectual engagement all in one took, took quite a bit of healing to get there. So, um, you know, for, again, I'm going to talk from a somatic point of view because it's really how I understand trauma and healing. So there are, I'm going to talk about these three aspects and then we can talk about pragmatics in each of them. Um, somatic awareness is like building our awareness of being inside of our own bodies again, right? Or inside parts of our bodies that we've dissociated from. But in many ways, I see it as this profound reclaiming of getting to live inside of our own aliveness again and getting to live inside our own skin again. And practices of somatic awareness are, you know, really a body scan from head to toe and noticing which parts of me can I feel and which parts do I skip over and a set of practices and processes to really get to thaw back into ourselves. Another part that I just think is so important is what we call somatic practices. How do we relearn, not just in our thinking, but relearn skills that early trauma didn't teach us? One fundamental skill is how do I consent? How do I say yes, no, and maybe? Another one is how do I have really clear boundaries? Another one is how do I connect to my needs and then express them? How do I connect to my desires and express them? Right? How do I make requests? Like we think that everyone's supposed to know how to do that. If you didn't learn how to do it or it got overridden and really damaged because of child sexual abuse, it's really a a rebuilding of embodied skills that are highly relevant to our intimate and sexual relationships, right? So somatic practices is another big bucket. And the third is, is what I might call 
somatic opening. And that means really going to the places where these survival strategies and these deep woundings, where they're held in our bodies. And it's interesting, our minds can disconnect, but our bodies don't forget. So we call it where there's places of numbing, contraction, or armoring. And often we need to go back to those places and almost let the experience get to complete itself. And often that's deep emotions like grief. It can be deep emotions like anger and rage because we didn't get to protect ourselves. It can be um, fear because it's really scary. But those kind of get stored down in places in our bodies and to free ourselves right back into current time and back into choice. We also need to go to a practice of almost like completing them, letting that flow through um, ourselves, our bodies, right. Our emotions to, to complete experiences that mostly we just had to store. Mm. And, you know, I, had a session a few weeks ago with uh, Ariel Schwartz, who we were saying you also um, did a workshop with. Um, exactly, a recent right. workshop. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And Ariel took me through a process uh, that if you had asked me, would I go through that in advance? I would say, no, why would I? go through that and what she did was take me to um, a, a place of feeling in my body where um, the the stored memories like when I had a, a, a visual f- flashback where I felt that in my body and kind of going back to allowing myself to go back and and, and, and just see where that was and mm-hmm. I knew where it was because it's the worst kind of flashback, emotional flashback, uh, visual mm-hmm. flashback I have from the things my father did to me. And Ariel had me kind of express now in my body movement, in my hand movements, in my just expressive, physical expressiveness, what mm-hmm. I would have done then and talk through as mm-hmm. well as express through physically what I would have done then. Because yeah. I was in that free state then and I right. couldn't do it. And right. I, I kind of understood that because, you know, we've all read enough to un- understand that. But when I did this just a few weeks ago with Ariel, something shifted in my being that was like a weight being lifted mm-hmm. out of me, away from me, a lightness, mm-hmm. a releasing that I would not have expected. Mm-hmm. And then what I realize is that that scene was a bathroom scene with my father. And I have, as many of us do, GI issues and IBS issues and you know gastrointestinal issues and the like. Mm-hmm. And um, that experience almost uh, made me realize that I have so much stress and tension there because that's that's the situation where all that was held. Like all the stress is held right there in that free state. And it was as though it, that process of, of acting Mm. out now, of expressing out now, almost just Mm. released that in a physical way in my body. Um, And, and I think that's so important for people to understand, but then say, so how do I, 
go through that experience because I would not have known even mm -hmm. that that kind of release of a physical symptom, a physical impact that was affecting me now would exactly. have been so shifted by a practice, a somatic practice yeah, like that. Right. So how, yeah, how do you suggest people move into that safely? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, most of us who are raised in, let's call it Western mainstream culture, <clears throat> we inherited this idea of mind over matter, but it's a falsehood. Um, the mind can definitely separate, right? Our thinking can separate. <clears throat> but just like what you said, these tensions, these self-protective contractions hold on for decades if they don't get to <clears throat> almost express their wisdom, express and complete. And, you know, for most of us with child sexual abuse, dissociation and freeze were the options because we were too small. But the impulse to push, kick, fight, and self-defend is still stored in us. Mm -hmm. So just you described it beautifully. But when that, when that gets to express, there's like a softening, a letting go. It's like, that storage of energy and mm -hmm. that impulse doesn't have to be held anymore, right? So let me let me say a couple of things about how to do this safely. First of all, and I'll go back here, it's very important as we're healing that we also really access a quality of, I'm going to say resilience, that we all inherently have. You know, one of the things I really say to other people who've experienced child sexual abuse or severe trauma is, you know, you're already more powerful than what happened to you because mm. you're here still. Mm. And so for those of us to find whether it was, whether it's animals or art or music or spirituality or nature, but the places where we can already access more of a sense of wholeness or wisdom, we all use different words or aliveness, that we want to feed that as a somatic practice. We want to feed that proactively. So we're building our resourcefulness and resilience, and we can play around a little bit with that if you want to. Then the next thing is that we, before going right into those wounded contractions or that, that holding, um, we also want to learn an orientation of what we call blending or being with the spaces in which, the spaces that are holding all that history for us many of us end up battling it. Like, why am I doing that still? And it's ruining my relationship or it's messing up my leadership or my parenting. And there's an approach in somatics that goes, okay, feel the contraction or the numbing or the where it's stored. And the first thing we want to do it is like move toward it and almost support it in the direction it's going, right? Like we might a really good friend. We wouldn't, right, start telling them to battle their own tears, we'd sit next to them and go, I'm right here and I want to listen to you. That's how we want to learn how to be with ourselves. I'm right here and I'm going to listen to you. And then for most of us, it's helpful to have someone else there with us. It's really big emotions and big energy and can be scary. And so whether it's a very skilled friend, whether it's a coach or therapist who understands trauma, to have someone where they're with us that we can let it come emotionally. And like you said, let it also come out somatically. And that might look like trembling or shaking or sweating, or like you said, putting down a weight, but it, there's literally a, a visceral aspect to that letting go that we want it to let, let it pass through our systems. Um, 
rather than kind of touch it with our minds and run away, <laughs> which mm. is an understandable desire. Mm-hmm. Um, but but those are pieces that are important to prepare and, and to do it um, in a way where we're supported. Yeah. And, you know, after I, I went through that, uh, and I'd also had a podcast um, session with Dick Schwartz, uh, yep. who does, you know, He's as wonderful. you know, parts. I know him too, yeah. Right, the no bad parts and talks to us about our different parts and getting in touch with those. And uh, I did an exercise with him on a podcast that took me to one of those parts that I was not expecting. And again, it kind of gave me that shift. And so I was left after those two experiences, um, sessions between Ariel and uh, Dick Schwartz, is wanting to actually share that with my partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is where, and you talk about what can partners do to support um, each mm-hmm. other, really. And having those, even sharing what we have experienced um, is really vulnerable, even in a close relationship. I mean, Laura and I, you know, we're getting married in September. Mm-hmm. We're madly in love with each other. Thank you. Um, but, you know, it's still hard to share um, mm-hmm. the the parts of us that have been the most uh, kind of filled with shame and blame and mm-hmm. lack of worth and mm-hmm. being down on ourselves, you know, because we don't want to come across as that. And many of us are, you know, do outwardly look like we've mm-hmm. got it all together and we're moving through the world most of the time, um, fantastically, you know, but most of the time we're, we're, we're you know, there's that part of us that um, is, is, is still, you know, experiencing the doubts, the, the blame, the feelings of shame, the feelings of, um, humiliation and yeah. so yeah. there's a fear I think of if we go there and we talk about it and we share that with our partners I think there's a fear that we relive that mm-hmm. and w- what burden we might be putting on our partners for example if we share it with them perhaps mm-hmm. we don't want our partners to see you know that part of ourselves so can you mm-hmm. talk uh, you know a little bit again about how we with our partners can share these experiences and grow together so we're stronger. And that ultimately flows from an emotional intimacy through to a physical intimacy and growth, as you talk Mm -hmm. about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing all you are, all you are. I appreciate it. Um, The the first thing I mean, a couple of things that are important, vulnerability, right? I'm going to say embodied vulnerability, because sometimes if we're doing a more dissociative vulnerability, it doesn't build intimacy in the same way. So embodied vulnerability, I'm in myself, I'm feeling myself, I'm bringing myself to a conversation with my partner. Um, That embodied vulnerability creates intimacy. And while we uh, understandably might not want to feel some of the pain or fear or anger that are really healthy responses to child sexual abuse and trauma. Um, <clears throat> feel, right, being vulnerable builds intimacy. Now, I do want to say it doesn't mean that all of our partners as of yet have the skills to be present for that. 
So there's really a growth curve for everybody, right? How do you as a partnership together become more and more skilled or competent or able to be present with a kind of vulnerability and especially vulnerability that comes from trauma? So sometimes it isn't that helpful when we sit down with our partners and they're like, it was in the past. It's okay. Let's move on. Right. Or a partner that's like, it's okay. It's okay. And wants to save you. So Mm -hmm. it really does ask for the skill of being present, the skill of being able to be present with a wide range of emotions, um, both people being able to be in themselves, like seated in themselves, feeling their own backs, right. To let these conversations be intimacy building. So in general with partners, it's like, okay, are we ready for these conversations or more like, how can we get ourselves ready? Right. Reading. There's lots of online programs. Now there's of course getting therapeutic support. Um, so that there's that piece. And then, um, you know, it's, it's just so funny over managing our trauma does not free us. Mm. Doesn't free us over managing our trauma. Doesn't create more of that deep sense of mutuality, belonging, and giving and receiving love that we all want. And trying to overmanage our trauma does not improve our sex lives, mm. right? It's facing into, right, in a resourced way with enough support and, and developing resilience. It's really facing into those wounds and, and freeing them by attending to them. Like, I think about healing as becoming free. Mm. Right. I think about healing as becoming more self-defined and having more agency. Right. I think of healing as um, getting to uh, make choices instead of having my trauma and those people who hurt me get to define my life for me. Mm. Right. And as you said earlier, you know, getting free to me is a lifelong path. Whether we think of that as a healing path or a spiritual path or even a path around social change, you know, but it's, it's a lifelong path. Yeah. And one of the things that that brings is that you can't filter those feelings, right? Because if you really get into it, you feel a whole range of feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And you did um, an interview with SF gate about your book. And I, want to share a quote from that interview because it talks to exactly this and you say that sexual trauma is a deep physical emotional mental and spiritual betrayal on a deep level it has us question the inherent goodness of both ourselves and others to enter healing after sexual trauma one has to be willing to feel emotions and walk through pain that most people Avoid grief, rage, loss of innocence, isolation and loneliness, shame and guilt are all in the emotional landscape after trauma. You say one has to risk being trusting again as a real act of vulnerability. A survivor has to relearn skills that trauma destroys, like recognizing what they need, allowing a full range of sensations and emotions, boundaries, consent, the ability to say yes, no, and maybe, and combining Mm. intimacy with sex. Mm. And Stacey, as I read that, it, it highlights as much as anything that this really is like a heroic journey, taking on all of that, 
um, and that there are ages and stages in our lives where that range of emotions impacts us in different ways and can pop up and come out of nowhere. And we may have felt that we dealt with some of that and it pops up and hits us again. Mm -hmm. So again, talking about this range of emotions that we have to move through and having the support to do that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what have you found can help survivors to keep moving through this journey with more of a sense of optimism than, than overwhelm, if you will. Totally. Totally. Well, you know, as you know, when we're damning something up, it feels the worst, right? It's almost pre having any of these big emotions that it's the most scary. And then once the emotion starts flowing, like letting a river be wild again, it's like, Oh, okay. There's life and movement, you know, emotion, they're supposed to move. And, um, but when they're dammed up for really good reasons, it can be very frightening. Um, But one of the things I really start with for myself and also in, in the work that I do is I really ask the question first, like, what is it that you're longing for? Right? What is it that you want? Like if you could have a relationship or uh, uh, sexual partnerships or, or choice around your sex and sexuality that you kind of could never imagine you got to have, what is it that you want? Because we heal towards something. It's very hard to take the risks of healing when it's like, ah! you know, when we don't have a vision bigger than some of those difficult emotions. <clears throat> so you know, for some people, maybe it's that what they want is that deep combination of emotional, spiritual, and sexual intimacy. How amazing. For someone else, really, what they're calling is that they've always felt like they're polyamorous. And they want to learn the skills and find the community in which they can express their sexuality in a polyamorous and consensual and integrous way. Right. So it really is what's what's important to you. Like, what do you want and what are you healing toward? That tends to be the what is bigger than like what's big enough to keep calling us forward on a a healing path. And then I want to really invite invite all of us to reflect like around sex and intimacy. What is it that child sexual abuse taught me? Right. Because it taught us not good things. It taught us a very sex negative view. Like, how could it not? It was terrible, right? Um, what did what did child sexual abuse teach you about sex and intimacy? Um, what if that was a total lie? Like, you're bad. That's a lie. Um, sex is just horrible. That's a lie, right? And then what are the things I know now or I need to know now to have the quality of sex and intimacy that I want, right? Because we can learn. We can grow. It is the hard work of healing. And also sometimes it's just like adding good stuff that we just didn't have access to before, right? In my 20s, I just totally haphazardly, um, but as spiritual path goes, not so haphazardly, um, worked at Good Vibrations. And at the time it was like, it's basically a woman run sex store that also does sex education. And I'll tell you in the five years of working there, I got exposed to a kind of sex positive um, whole range of ways that human beings consensually express sexuality. That was so positive and it became this incredible counterbalance 
to all the sex negativity that I've learned through child sexual abuse. And I thought, wow, I would have never thought of this as part of my sexual healing, but it absolutely was. Human sexuality just got much more normalized. Of course, it's a deeply alive way we express ourselves. It's a core energy in us that then when we hold it back, we're literally missing some of the core aliveness in our beings. And I don't, you know, it's not just generally focused. It's an energy that's in our hearts. It's in our minds. That's in, right. It's an aliveness, aliveness like dancing is an aliveness, right? Um, so yeah, l- letting ourselves really explore that vision and then explore, you know, wow, what, what are some of the positive skills or things I can expose myself to that also help me relearn or learn for the first time things that, that the trauma didn't help me learn. Yeah. And you also talk about the overall giving of physical pleasure to our bodies and our beings, you know, so uh, it's, it's sexual pleasure, but just physical pleasure that we often just disconnect from, you know, we don't even, I know for me, I didn't, I disconnected from the the neck down really. Mm-hmm. And so e- even again, when I went through different exercises, even some of Ariel Schwartz's wonderful yoga work and um, self nurturing work and just like giving myself a hug or expressing Mm -hmm. a stop with the extension of my hand in a way that felt good when I did some work with Pat Ogden in an earlier Mm -hmm. podcast, right? Simple things and profound things, profound things, like give yourself a hug. I'm like, what? You know, that's not going to change anything. (laughs) That's not going to change anything. But when you feel yourself, give yourself a hug, there's something visceral in that that happens. And you're like, oh, and whatever that feeling is, as you said, we're all, I think if everyone right now gave themselves a hug, like just, you know, that butterfly hug across the chest and held our arms and kind of just, you know, nurtured our hand down our arms to our wrists and held our hand, we would all have a different experience, a different felt experience of that. And for us to just reflect and touch that and say, oh, what is that? And then, as you said before, feel into it, that can be profoundly shifting something so simple. Can you talk a little bit about even just that, our power, our ability to give self-care and self-touch in a way that's so nurturing and empowering that it just gives us a whole new sense of our power to do that for ourselves. Definitely. So I want to keep coming back to these kind of three buckets of somatic awareness, right? Which is feeling our sensations being inside of our bodies from the inside out, somatic opening, right? Letting things move through us and then somatic practice. And a really big component of somatic practice is letting ourselves viscerally, right? An embodied way, notice again what's pleasurable to us. And for for many people, and I want to pose this for everyone on on the podcast, to have a daily practice of noticing something that's pleasurable for you and pausing and letting it seep in just a little bit more deeply, which means feel it in your soma. And that could be something like the sunshine, 
touching your skin. It's like, oh, that warmth feels really good. And pausing and feeling the pleasure. And it's almost, I know this sounds weird, but it's building our capacity or building our tolerance for pleasure. The same thing can be true if we notice like, wow, I'm having this moment of really feeling safe and connected. Pause, linger, really let that deepen into the nervous system of like, wow, I'm with this person who I feel safe with and I'm feeling connected with them. And it's like helping to repattern, not just the brain, but the entire nervous system toward that. But with pleasure, it might be like you love cats and you're petting your cat and your cat is purring. Take in the warmth of your cat's little body on your lap and the softness of the fur and the sound of the purring, right? And let in the pleasure because for so many reasons, we need to try to get away from physical sensation when we're being harmed. And this is a way to keep <clears throat> refinding as a daily practice and then building our capacity and our tolerance for pleasure. And then of course, you know, for those of us, because some people are just like, they've decided that they are um, asexual and it's fine, right? But the, for those of us who are really building more and more sensuality, right? And sexuality, embodied, present, consensual, right? Sensuality and sexuality into our lives, we want to increase our capacity there too. So if you're being sensual with yourself or with someone else, and you're like, oh, this feels so good. Take a deeper breath, feel it in your back, feel it in your right foot, right? Let it pattern into your whole being um, to really build our, our ability to both recognize it and then our ability to have, have the experience while it's happening um, instead of trying to speed through something, even though it actually feels good. Mm. Yeah. I, I want to offer to, I mean, you have so many great questions here and you, you tell me, but we could um, play around with a practice here, either a practice around resilience, like cultivating resilience and why that's relevant to healing or really doing a practice that we could talk through, like a practice around consent. Do you have any, any direction you want to go with an experience? Uh, no, I offer myself up. If you feel like you could take me through an experience that people could kind of follow in their own space that you feel would be um, powerful, I'm happy to do that and step into the whatever that is. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Shall we do that? Yeah, let's do do that. And I think, um, I mean, there's so many directions we can go, but I think because you've really done some really important of like, how do you be with the wound and then let the protective impulse in that express, since you did that with, um, with Ariel already, let's actually focus on resilience and then we'll kind of tie it into sensuality and sexuality. Does that work? Okay. Okay, let's awesome. do it. Let's do it. I'm not sure what I'm saying. Let's do it if you're entering into, but I put myself in your hands. Okay. I appreciate that. And if we ever hit a point where you're like, I don't feel like doing this anymore, you can just say that and we can stop. Okay. Yeah. All Great. Right. So I'm going to kind of invite you and invite us, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, first of all, from a somatic point of view, um, what res resilience is inherent. We're inherently resilient beings. And resilience is really that capacity to reharmonize ourselves, 
that capacity to recognize wholeness and hope. Um, it, it's that, um, again, we all have different words for it. So I really want you and also the audience to find your own word. But it's that experience of like, you know, that experience where you're like, oh, wow, I'm interconnected. All right, I'm whole, I'm expansive, right? Mm-hmm. That's our inherent resilience. And it's our capacity to find that over and over again. And as I shared earlier, because I'm going to ask you in a moment, we all, there's lots of different ways. Again, it might be music and art that brings you resilience or reconnects you. It might be dancing. Um, It might be wilderness and nature. That's a big one for me. Stick me in the mountains and I'm like, oh, I'm so happy. You know, Mm -hmm. it just just comes, right? It might be uh, a spiritual experience or feeling spiritually connected. Right. So I'm going to ask you to think about an experience of resilience that you've already had. And then in a moment, we're going to go back and really almost like get back into it. And I'm going to ask you questions about it and also how it feels in your body. So does an experience kind of come to heart, come to mind where you're like, oh man, that was a really resilient experience for me. Uh, what f- immediately comes to mind is anytime I'm on my paddleboard in the lake and on the oh, ocean, yeah. especially in rough waters um, that might have awesome. some sharks below. So, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> that sounds like the ocean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So I love that something came to, came to you so immediately. Um, and then let's pick up particular moment on your paddleboard in rough waters what's a particular moment it could have been yesterday it could be 10 years ago it doesn't matter that felt particularly strong and kind mm-hmm. of powerful and positive yeah as opposed to falling off <laughs> right. well some people like falling <laughs> off too but exactly what uh, yeah positive powerful expansive yeah, I mean, just uh, I, I paddleboard often uh, out on Miami Beach. And there's uh, actually just a few weeks ago, uh, I I had a big boat, uh, speedboat, go by very close. And it really threw some heavy waves out. And I was pretty far out because I tend to do that. Um, so um, that felt good because at first I was like oh my god I can see myself being tossed into the water no big deal though um but deep enough sharks around you know those fears come out but I didn't I you know was like no I've got this and I you know maneuvered through it and uh, got through it and you know it was like yeah that's why I'm out here (laughs) awesome okay awesome so let's let's go particularly to that moment where you're like maneuvering through you're like, you're keeping your balance. And then you went like, ah, that's, that's why I'm out here. So can you just put yourself like, imagine yourself, we call it somatic imagination. Imagine yourself just back into those moments, Mm -hmm. right? You're on your board. You're negotiating those, the rough waters. Boom. You're like, I did it. Mm-hmm. And just take a moment and really feel what's happening in your body. Feel what's happening emotionally. 
So in my body, I feel as soon as you asked me that and I tapped into that, I just felt strong and vibrant and energized and positive and like sunshine and emotionally as well, like just happy, just happy, awesome. that happy, confident, almost uh, carefree source kind of space. Great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. So strong, vibrant, happy, confident. Where are you feeling that in your body? And let's just start with strong and vibrant. Is it your legs you feel it or your core or your back? How do you know you're feeling strong and vibrant? What sensations are happening in your body? I'm hmm. um, so physically, uh, actually across my chest. Mm -hmm. m my chest and my um, kind of upper um body area but not because that's where you paddle from but it feels kind of more from the inside out if Great. that makes sense okay so your chest and some in your upper body from the inside out <clears throat> and is it that your chest feels um if we can kind of if we can translate into sensations like expansive warm solid settled how does your chest feel? Open. Open. Awesome. Is the word that comes to mind. It's kind of op feels like it's opening up a strength that's going down through my belly, even into kind of right. the what is this? The what's the sacral chakra, which actually is where the sexual organs are, funnily enough. Pelvis, so the pelvis. Feeling, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So I'm kind of feeling that activate as I reflect on that there's a tingling there's a flow there's a awesome like butterflies moving through there but happy butterflies not anxious right. butterflies awesome okay so chest feels open then all of a sudden you feel like movement butterflies like in your stomach and your pelvis and also an energy it sounds like flowing downward is that into your legs yeah uh-huh like a groundedness yeah yeah can you feel your feet on the board yeah you know i feel a, a yeah a grounded that goes kind of almost beyond the board down even That's deeper right. like a grounding into essence yes like, yeah i get it okay this is awesome okay so just stay in all those sensations stay in those sensations sensations are like the foundational language and then they inform how we describe our emotions and then right we have thoughts so you're on the board that balancing woo, you made mm -hmm. it through and just one more question what are you noticing in your back it's upright and just you know, can breathe um and i don't feel constrained in any way great Good. So feel all of that, that energy flowing down, that groundedness really down beyond the board into, into essence, this openness that also feels like a happy and a connection like, like source. And then just keep feeling it in your, in the, in yourself, right? In your torso, your pelvis, your legs, your back. Mm. And let's just linger here for a moment and really let yourself have this experience Holy, right? Fully. Breath. 
Wow, that really expands right through you, doesn't it, when you do that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like a light energy that um heat mm-hmm. activation energy like um like you know stars just you know the light just spreads and it's just yeah. shining out there and you almost feel um dissolved in that hmm. awesome okay good that's that's us like lingering right in a resilience mm. experience and i want to just ask you a couple more questions is there anything about like the the smell of the ocean or the the visual like landscape or sounds that are a part of your resilience yes this oh what are those i I, let sounds of the waves against the board yeah this solid kind of sense of something very powerful that Mm -hmm. i'm just a part of and connected to um you know, when I look out to the horizon and I just see endless horizon, no mm. barrier, no constraint, just off to the horizon, um, it's beautiful. It's, it feels limitless. It feels boundless. It feels beyond the things that keep us or keep have kept me kind of stuck or felt constrained yeah. or confined. There's a sense of yeah. immense space out there and light uh, that blue sky that sunshine and quite frankly even if there's clouds in the sky there's a lightness to them there's a even if there's storm clouds on the horizon which there has been often enough that it's just part of Mm. the beautiful experience of being connected to something so powerful yes exactly okay awesome so let's just hang out another like 60 seconds so really let this experience of resilience deepen in you you know spread in you i mean it's very full it's like that star light Mm. already just Mm. let yourself have the experience and feel it somatically Mm. you can feel it in your back in your hips your legs that open chest, just linger. And then whatever your version is of thanking the water, thanking the experience, mm-hmm. thanking the paddleboard, thanking the light, just go ahead and thank it. Wow, that felt really good, Stacey. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everyone else out there had took themselves off to some special magical resilient space and everyone's feeling like they can conquer the world and anything else right now. <laughs> so really that was beautiful. I mean, thank you for sharing all of that and how accessible it is. Yeah. Right? Yes. So if you're okay with it, can we just take a moment and now connect it to sexual healing. Are you cool with that? Sure. Okay. So one thing I'm going to invite you and your listeners to do is to literally practice accessing this or another resilience experience at least four days a week. Okay. That it becomes a purposeful somatic practice 
we are accessing just this highly resilient, fully alive inside of your body place because we have them just often, you know, there's this neuroscientist that I, um, you know, got to have a long recorded conversation with his name is, uh, uh, Andrew Huberman. He has a, a podcast now too, but he said, you know, our, our brain body is really built to track fear. Fear is kind of like a five lane highway and it keeps taking our attention there. Mm. And resilience is a footpath through the woods. And we just need to keep walking that footpath over and over again. So it becomes a really solid trail for us. Right. And as you saw, there's a little bit of a corny way to say it, but energy flows where attention goes. Mm -hmm. And by putting our attention deeply inside of these resilience experiences, we build that as this really profound access point and learn to center ourselves in that, in that more and more. Okay. So <clears throat> there's that piece. Now to tie it, um, imagine sitting in that resilience and maybe we can just kind of access it really quickly again, cause you are right there mm-hmm. sitting there and imagine that you're, that you're here. And from here, you're going to explore something that is sensual with yourself or with your partner, or even go, great, I'm going to, I'm going to be here and here from here, I'm going to engage in sex. And what, what, what happens in your body when you imagine that? Hmm. Okay. So that's interesting. So two things happen. I almost Mm -hmm. felt like an openness and a constraint at the same time. Awesome. Where, where did you feel those in, mm, in you? Um, around my pelvis area, around my stomach, in my stomach. Um, yeah. And when I think of Laura, my partner, I have like an openness around that. Um, but it like this other feeling snapped in right away of constraint. Perfect. Okay. So the openness toward your partner, where do you feel that openness in your body? Um, all over really. Mm-hmm. Um, in my hands, in my, all over my, my body, I feel that flows. In your heart. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that openness in your belly and pelvis too, or not as much there? Yeah, I do. But I would say not as much. It's almost as though there's something constrained there at the same time. Exactly. Okay, great. Great. Good. So we just want to back off for a minute of kind of the, how would this, how would it be to enter sensuality or sexuality from a more resilient state? And what that contraction tells us is that contraction wants some attention, Mm. right? My guess is it's really a long standing way that you really, really were smart to protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so, because I, I shut down that part of my body that, um, you know, my father would most frequently violate. Exactly. exactly. Or at least where I felt that tension, where I exactly contracted myself physically uh, during anything he did to me. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, when we notice those contractions, um, first we want to feel them, which you are like in your belly, in your pelvis, 
right? <clears throat> we want to feel them. And really one of the first moves we want to say is like, thank you, good job, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That's that kind of idea of blending of like, thank you, good job, thank you for protecting me, mm-hmm. right? And then really sidle up next to it like we would a friend. And we, we, we don't need to go here right now, but I'm just letting folks know sidle up next to it as a friend and go, wow, um, what were you trying to take care of for me? Mm. What, do you, what do you need now? I'm right here. And only if you want to, but is there any response of like, what is this contraction taking care of for you? And what, is it, what does it need now? The word that immediately came up was um, what it was doing then was kind of shielding shield a shield mm-hmm. is the word that comes to mind mm-hmm. um and now it's uh it's interesting because it's I, I i have this picture of a shield lodged in my belly and pelvis mm-hmm. <laughs> um and yeah it's not necessary it's not necessary anymore mm-hmm. um <clears throat> but dislodging that it's like pretty tight in there um yeah 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 in many ways we wouldn't try to dislodge that shield but really listen to it affirm it and then in some ways it would over time dissolve Mm. right so we always want to remember we're not being rough with ourselves we're not doing any more violence to ourselves right that that shield is so smart and has probably been there for a long time. And that shield is also likely the muscular contractions that are creating that shield, right? So it is really through a listening, a supporting, a softening. And in our work, we also do a very gentle somatic body work to even remind your tissues that it's okay to soften and relax. Because sometimes our tissues have been fixed for so long that they they forgot, right? But it's yeah. a softening, right, um, rather than maybe a dislodging. Yeah, and what I'm noticing as I'm just reflecting on this is that so th- that doesn't affect like my physical relationship or sexual relationship with Laura, for example, Um what it does affect, for example, I I mentioned before, I have like constant GI, constant, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I have IBS. I like, I'm, that yeah. drives me nuts, you know. And it's interesting because as I reflect on that, I feel like that's like it's it's showing up in other areas of physical health and well-being in yeah. those areas. I know in your book, you write about that. You write about how sexual trauma in our childhood doesn't just play out in affecting our sexual relationships. It, mm-hmm. it plays out in so many other parts of our physical health. Right. And so right. I feel like as I feel that shield there, I can feel how that has an impact, that contraction, that tightness in right. those other areas. And so I'm wondering, maybe just touching on that, what... For sure. In, in terms yeah, of, sure. again, releasing that, dissolving that. Yeah. <clears throat> so I just want to say to all of us, this isn't just a metaphor. Like our bodies are ourselves, right? 
And it's like kind of coming into a more holistic paradigm of understanding ourselves. Um, So even organs can contract and hold contraction over long periods of time because they're holding the impacts of trauma for us. So this thing that we might call softening or re-embodying or de-armoring, right? Those are all things we might call it in somatics is a visceral and emotional and identity process, right? And, you know, I might pose to you, it's like, I'm so like, what might it be like for you, even in your sexual relationship, for your your belly and your pelvis to be soft Mm. and not having to hold all that defense, Mm. right? So any place, and we all have it, it's like some of us really contracted our breasts and our hearts back and have tucked our hearts back in a way and collapsed our shoulders Mm. as a protective stance that affects our parenting, how we show up at work, how we show up in our neighborhoods, right? Some of us have pulled way up and out, like what you said originally, way up and out and only live in this small space of our brains or have really tightened our jaws and throats because something happened there. So it, it's physical and visceral, but it's emotional, spiritual, and relational all at the same time because they're all connected, mm-hmm. right? And um, like you said, can show up in different physical health issues, right? Mm-hmm. So this softening, coming back into our own skins, completing trauma through our tissues is so important. Um, so I want to, there's two other things I want to say. Um, with resilience and this practice of resilience, it's one of the positive ways we soften ourselves, mm. right? So it's like you just going through that paddleboard experience, all of a sudden your whole body with some attention was bright, soft, light, and connected, right? Part of why we practice resilience on purpose, either through that somatic imagination and remembering and just saying, I'm going to sit down five minutes, right? Or at the end of my exercise or the end of my meditation, I'm going to take these three more minutes and re-access that experience and feel it somatically is because that is a positive way that we're softening and opening um, our somas and coming back into ourselves. Yeah? It also gives us a resource to come back to in a really clear, accessible way that we could prepare ourselves to be more sensual or sexual with ourselves or our partners by just going, let me, let me get into a lot of resilience first, right? Because it also helps calm some of the automatic reactions that can come up that are protective, right? Okay. Um, so hopefully I just invite everybody to take this on as a purposeful practice, even just for three months and see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. In your healing and also somatically. The last thing I want to say, or the other thing that I want to acknowledge in our conversation is that um, our social conditions also affect our healing process. And I I just want to acknowledge it. I mean, you've acknowledged your partner is, does she identify as a woman, Laura? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. that I want to acknowledge that there's other things that affect how we understand sexuality that aren't about sexual abuse, but are about different forms of um, assumptions around sex and sexuality and also uh, uh, oppression, 
right? So there's this idea that the only form of sex is heterosexual penetration. And that is also a kind of sex negativity or sexual abuse that we have to process through. Or those of us who are women or identify as uh, gender fluid or trans, there's all these negative stereotypes that we're just faced with all the time that say who we're supposed to be and who we're not supposed to be or why we have worth or why we don't have worth, right? And then we can look at race and white supremacy too. There's all these negative stereotypes against black, indigenous, and people of color that affect our sensualities and sexualities, you know? I mean, as I was coming out as queer, the level of shame I had to work through because I had been taught that I was doing something bad Mm -hmm. instead of I was doing something very beautiful, connected, and human. Mm -hmm. So I just want to name that because it's so important. There's these very particular and traumatizing experiences of sexual abuse, but it's not like we're in a healthy environment and a healthy culture around sex. So learning sex positivity, learning feminism, right? Learning um, trans liberation, learning um, really about racial justice also all help us. Those are also ways to help ourselves get get free, Mm. even in the very intimate space of of sexuality. Yeah, that's a beautiful reflection because it really does come down to being authentic with ourselves and not judging ourselves, not trying to put labels on ourselves, just getting in touch with the feelings we have within ourselves. And as you said earlier, what we want, because ultimately that is the journey that we're all on. And we've all gone through challenge and trauma, and especially post-COVID, that kind of throw, well, it's not really post-COVID yet, um, (laughs) you know, through COVID, that threw on a whole different layer of challenge and re-traumatization and memory. And you also highlight in your book that healing is a choice. And I think that I know for me in my life, when I came to really have that aha moment, that, oh, I get to choose this now. I may not have mm-hmm. been able to choose my reaction when I was being abused as a child. I had to allow those survival instincts to just kick in and do their thing. Totally. What else can I do? Right, right. now, We all have the ability to choose. And so then it begs the question, what do we want? What would we love to experience, as you said, every day? And then just do that one small thing every day. And so that's why I appreciate you so much highlighting those somatic practices, because if we can all commit to ourselves to just do that for the sake of our lives, it can really make the biggest difference to ourselves, Mm. our relationships and all that we want. Exactly. I've so appreciated our conversation. I know there's so much more that we could do. So maybe we'll talk again. To receive notifications of the podcast, subscribe or follow the podcast today and visit overcomingchildsexualabuse.com for more about this and upcoming podcast. Remember, to get help for anything you're going through, reach out to a qualified Thank you, for doing it. Oh, you can thank search you the so internet for 24-7 hotlines, including the National Child Abuse Hotline, or speak to your doctor for resources. 
In case of a mental health emergency, please don't hesitate to call 911.